Welcome to the very first episode of Alterations, a podcast dedicated to the impending and ongoing impact of blockchain technology on finance. Alterations is presented by Dicus Network, a B2B crypto startup dedicated to the management of digital assets across custodians. My name is Marek, and besides working at Dicus, I'm a research assistant at WAU's Chair of Finance in Germany with a bachelor's degree in management and a master's degree in finance. Our guest this time is Matthew Eckroth, CEO and founder of Green Edge Advisors, where he advises clients on the use of alternative data for alpha generation. He has a 20-year-long track record as a trader and portfolio manager at various banks and funds, and in this episode, will share his views on what he calls the democratization of finance and highlight the need for trust in a trustless system. And now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Matt. Hello, Matt. So Matt is a senior advisor at Dikis and also at Bricken, and he's currently a CEO and founder of Green Edge Advisors. Uh, he's based in the UK, and I'm really happy to have him here with us for our very first episode. Welcome, Matt. Good morning. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Very happy to be here today, Merrick. Great. Um, why wouldn't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, so I've spent about the past 20 years or so in the quantitative systematic trading space as a portfolio manager and strategist, uh, both on the sell side, so that is for investment banks such as Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, and most recently Morgan Stanley, and also with uh, a period of about 10 years on the, the buy side or for a number of, of hedge funds. Um, in my last role at Morgan Stanley, I ended up being uh, with a role as head of data strategy for equities trading. So uh, I was coordinating with the, the leaders of the equities trading division to help them onboard new data sets uh, to help them better price their, their own products. Um, Maybe I a small for... example, what, uh, what kind of data did you take into consideration besides obviously past trading data? Oh, well, if you move from the, the, the traditional data space, which is what you just described, price, volume data, structured data that, that has been around uh, for many, many years, what you've had happen over the past, well, five to eight years is the emergence of alternative data. And some of them have become more popularly known, such as satellite imagery, where uh, satellites will count the number of cars in the parking lot in front of uh, big box stores, say in the US like Walmart or Home Depot, and that can be aggregated and, and viewed over a period of time and then correlated with sales. So you have things like that. You have sensor data, um, yeah. you have geolocation data. All this data gives a much more real time and a richer information picture about what is going on, um, both in the economy and at the individual company level. So previously, investors would normally wait until quarterly earnings came out And then there would be this, this flurry of, of activity as a big information dump was released into the market about where the firm had, had moved over the previous three months. Now there is a lot of real-time or let's, it's called now casting data that is available that changes how uh, price discovery takes place. So that is obviously important both for investors and also for the intermediaries like, uh, like the banks who are providing liquidity to their clients because they want to make sure they're providing at the at the right price. So anyway, just as a final note, so I, I, I set up a company 
uh, a few months ago, essentially with the goal of helping investment management firms increase their, their investment conviction through the use of data, specifically alternative data and technology, different tools like natural language processing tools and machine learning uh, to help them become both more efficient and more productive. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I guess uh, with uh, NLP and AI, especially you now that you can also extract information from big texts, like I guess annual reports and stuff like that, how, how that influences uh, price points, it's really interesting. And as, as a, I guess as, a la as a quickly as a last point, this alternative data is also becoming more prominent in the, in the crypto and the digital asset space as people are looking for ways to predict, especially Bitcoin, the cryptocurrencies uh, are increasingly looking for different types of information and natural language processing is one of them where um, say Reddit feeds or uh, online or social media feeds are then scraped to look for sentiment information that can be used to predict prices. Is social media implying the Twitter of Elon Musk? For example. <laughs> For example. Okay, <laughs> cool. All uh, right, cool. Then, um, I mean, given your uh, background in like um, mostly equities trading and um, mm -hmm. what we are now uh, going to talk about blockchain, um, I feel like it makes a lot of sense to like basically describe, okay, how how do we get those traditional asset classes on the blockchain, which is the process of tokenization, right? You need a representation of those assets that can be traced over a blockchain. But obviously you can also um, well, digitize um, intangible assets or, I don't know, commodities, equities. Um, and especially with your background, I would like to focus on um, equities here. I mean, besides all the hype and like, people uh, retail investors starting to invest in well, altcoins, Bitcoin, based on um, information from social media, um, I feel like there are much more profound structural implications for the sector itself, because uh, now with centralized parties who've been used to provide a lot of infrastructure for all those market participants, and now you can see with uh, decentralized exchanges where you don't really have a middleman anymore, and just well match buyers and sellers um you have uh, blockchains that can trade 24 7 and not just market hours what are the biggest implications you see for established institutions yeah no that's that's a great question and really this is all part of the 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 bigger democratization of, of finance and the democratization of, of investments um, historically, this has been the, the, the domain of, of large institutions, of, of large investors, of, of, of let's say the wealthier, uh, wealthier uh, citizens. But now there's a there's a there's a uh, there's a shift going on towards democratization, and this has this has been going on for years, and it's it's happened in fits and starts. And I think this move towards tokenization is a very very important step in this process because it's changing. The, the nature of, of liquidity and the nature of, uh, of, of information dissemination. I think there's been some very, very glaring examples of, of what's happened here this year. Obviously the, the, the GameStop and meme stock phenomena has been uh, a, a huge, has let, have let, let a huge impact on the, uh, on the industry. Uh, I can tell you that the, the large institutions really woke up on the back of GameStop uh, and AMC and what happened with Wall Street bets 
the Reddit feed because never before have retail investors become so prominent in what's traditionally been an institutional area. And this is what do you, what do you think? Uh, what is the cause for that? Do you think that's like increased financial literacy? Like, because, because I've, especially in the case of uh, GameStop, right, where you kind of had this short squeeze situation, something people usually learn about in university studying finance. And now you have like a, you have an online board where people who call themselves degenerates uh, basically gamble money because, I mean, for the love of video games, but GameStop is brick and mortar business. And then you have a huge uptick in their, in their um, stock price. Would you say that traditional institutions or people working there are also confused because this feels like it goes against efficient markets or is it like a temporal anomaly which will just fade out and how do you how are you seeing that yeah i i think there will only ever be one GameStop, um just like there will ever be one bitcoin mm -hmm. it's kind of the the first of the original and they both they both represent um they really represent a movement you, you read the news and if you read some of these these reddit feeds both for bitcoin but more importantly for um Uh, for GameStop, many people say, I'm buying this, I'm holding it, and I'm never going to sell. And they really are, you know, so to, so to say, they're, they're, they're sticking up their, their middle finger at the at kind of organized and big finance saying, you can have your models, we are an army, uh, we're in charge now, so look out. Uh, and that, like I said, that has not gone unnoticed by large financial institutions because the traditional models and the way to value companies now is being theoretically put at risk, uh, at least short term, because uh, like you mentioned, GameStop was a dying company, brick and mortar company with falling earnings. I think it was losing money, uh, which is why it had such a high short interest and became captured by a movement and completely changed what actually the definition of a fair price became. Mm -hmm. So, This obviously can't go on indefinitely. Um, and there's a, there's a great saying by Warren Buffett. He said, in the short term, markets are a voting machine. In the long run, they're a weighing machine, which means that in the short term, prices can be whatever, um, whatever in investors uh, think it might be. So really, it, it can be priced at the limit of, of the, the participant's fantasy. But over mm -hmm. the long term, a, an asset has to yield some kind of value. Short term, a stock gets bid up very, very high because everyone's excited about the story. Over the long term, if, if GameStop, for example, doesn't make any money and it doesn't turn itself around, um, people are going to be kind of wondering, what am I doing with this stock? And many, many people may be left holding the bag. So um, I think this, this army is powerful. It's strong. It's growing. But equally, I think there will be a lot of casualties in this, uh, in, in this war because uh, there has to be some trend towards long-term fundamental value. I, I think that's just core to uh, finance and that can deviate widely in the short term, but in the long term, things need to trend towards some kind of real value, theoretically. Um, but like from how, how you are phrasing this, um, so you see the, the energy behind those meme stocks, the, the crowd behind those movements is also uh, close, closely tied to crypto or what? What's your... Absolutely. How do you Absolutely. bridge those two? Yeah, no, it, 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 
I think there's an interesting there's an interesting uh, new risk risk factor here. If you think about how um, securities are 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 priced, if you use say a risk model which looks at uh, all the things that a stock is exposed to, like interest rates, maybe uh, energy prices, et cetera, et cetera. Now you have um, theoretically a new risk factor, which is the influencer factor or celebrity factor. So um, a new variable in the price of an asset could be what is Elon Musk saying about this stock or what some other influencer, uh, what, what, there was a guy, uh, David, I think David Portnoy, who was a... Yeah got a big following and, and he would move, had huge uh, impact on, on, on security prices. So um, let's see how this develops. Yeah, I think um, I was quickly looking this up. Uh, Schiller also wrote something about uh, that crypto is um, basically like a narrative economy because nobody can well pinpoint what the technology currently is. And obviously nobody knows what it's going to be like. So prices vary widely with public perception of what this thing actually is. I mean, of course, you have people like Michael Saylor who just go long all in in Bitcoin and seem to rebuy every <laughs> during every dip. Um, but the but the public narrative um, around it is ever changing. I mean, when El Salvador accepted it as a, a legal tender, at least I was expecting an uptick and during during the day it immediately dropped by 10%. So it's, yeah, it's uh, widely all over the place. But um, yeah, I coming... Would, yeah. Hmm? Sorry, I would just say, yeah, but this is, this is very much true. Uh, GameStop is very much true for, for cryptocurrencies. And there's huge online personalities, YouTube, YouTube personalities who, be, who get um, kind of created and promoted and who have a huge amount of influence over the flow of, of funds into different different coins. And we've seen this, say, in Dogecoin, which um, by, by many, many measures had a lot going against it um, compared to Bitcoin. You know, there's no cap on the number of, of, of tokens, uh, et cetera. But everybody saw what happened with, with Dogecoin. And uh, I think a big reason for the, the, the huge price gyrations was the impact of these these influencers and these um, these media personalities who who direct you know attention to these. Sure, but I mean, like I said, for for um, AMC or for GameStop, um, <laughs> everyone who still somewhat believes in market dynamics sees that well, if an asset doesn't hold any intrinsic value, then at some point it's likely going to crash or at least have a strong uh, correction and i feel like this is also like well looking at how defensive banks or financial institutions were about blockchain for a long time and now you have uh, rating agencies um well posting jobs for for crypto analysts a lot of banks are like launching their own custody arms or um tra trading units um do you think that crypto will establish itself just because it's the well superior technology? Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. In my mind, there's no question that this is the future and the way um, and the way forward. There are too many advantages to using blockchain technology in many parts of finance. Um, to your point about going from a system based on trust, large institutions, custodians. 
uh, really centered on trust to a, to a trust list platform um, will be will be um, hugely impactful. The, the irony there a little bit is as you move to a trustless system, you need to have trust in the trustless system. I don't Fair think enough. the I don't think the, the the world is is quite there yet, but um, eventually there will be protocols developed because everything's building on previous generations of um, of the technology, so it can only get better. And as adoption increases and is and used by more um, you know market leaders, J.P. Morgan, for example. The acceptance and the um, the willingness to move to this new technology will only go up. So um, there is a path. There are still problems that need to be solved uh, to get there. But in my mind, there is there is no question that we will we will go this way. I, it's not going to be a a phase shift where from one day to the next we make this leap. It will be there will be a transition phase. And the question is what that will look like and how long will it take? Because I think the two systems will have to work side by side for some period of time. Okay. But I can tell that you're like you're optimistic, but you're, you're not sure how long it will take, but certainly a couple of more years. Yes, I, I think a big reason is, it, well, there's a simple one is that the majority of the world's assets are managed and they're controlled by people who are, you know, in, in you know, they're not in their 20s or 30s. They're, they're, they're older an older generation to, to, to put it delicately, um, and there are, you know, they have fiduciary duties, uh, and there's no, uh, you know, the, there's no big upside by taking a risk and moving to a new technology prematurely and then having something go wrong. That's potentially a career ender. So I think everybody is waiting uh, to see what everybody else does and to make sure things are really bulletproof and that they're very safe before they make that move. But once it starts to happen and the, the benefits of the protocol in massively reduced costs throughout the, the value chain, then there will become a phase where, you know, there's a, let's take a step back. There's always this phase of early adopters and then increasing adoption and late adopters. And um, the early adopters who take a little bit more risk will yield substantial savings and have benefits. And then as more and more people see that this is working, it's safe, uh, and that other people that they trust are moving to this platform and this technology, it will it will accelerate very very rapidly. That's how that's how I think it will go. Do you, can you imagine that if we let's say would tokenize all the securities out there like from today uh, to well let's say next Monday? Um, <laughs> would you like? Do you think like things that we are currently used to like basically market hours or stuff like that would also change with the well? technological uh, possibility to just say, okay, let's have it open 24-7? That's going to be interesting. Um, the, I think that, that, of course, in a in a pure decentralized finance world, uh, it is 24-7. Yeah. But um, people aren't going to be trading 24 hours a day. There are centers of, uh, of liquidity in, you know, say, the United States, North America, Western Europe and developed Asia, where uh, trading will, will take place. So I think that you'll you'll start to see there will be just cycles of, of liquidity during the day. But that being said, um, I, I, I don't want to underestimate the potential of technology to do things uh, outside of what we consider kind of trading hours. 
because yeah. the way people interact with the, the, the financial markets may change substantially. People may have, rather than looking at a screen and looking at prices and say, oh, I want to buy here or sell here or put in a limit order, they may have quite complicated um, wishes in terms of how they want to enter or exit the market that will be based on technology. And then they will just set that off and the technology will do what it's going to do. Um, so I think it's too early to predict okay. actually how that will, sh will, 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 will shake out. Although I do suspect, you know, on the weekends, you know, maybe there, there'll be less trading, but maybe there'll be more. Uh, if people are not doing their, their day job and then on Sundays they want to trade, too early, too early to predict. I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I think it will be interesting. Okay. Uh, maybe also on that note, um, do you think that, I mean, cryptocurrencies are already like traded on, on those uh, like DEXs or over, I don't know, Kraken, Binance, uh, Coinbase and platforms like that. Um, do you think the value creation for the industry will will be rather like mass adoption of those cryptocurrencies or taking the technology um, where they are currently running on like this this blockchain and moving stock markets or bond markets or whatever to to blockchain based systems and have them uh, run over platforms like that? I think the the real value creation is not going to come from new cryptocurrencies being uh, being issued. Uh, I think that I think that that game is is kind of in in decline. Um, mm -hmm. Where the real value creation is going to come will be in releasing um, you know potential value from certainly Ill illiquid uh, and and difficult to trade assets. For example. Uh, I think real estate is a real estate and illiquid bonds are two great examples of assets that in a, in a tokenized blockchain and, and DeFi world can experience a very, very different type of, of liquidity. Because at the moment, there are massive costs to trading these assets because the spreads are so high. Um, and also due to a huge information asymmetry. And as, you know, as liquidity increases, information asymmetry drops. These go hand in hand. Um, and there's going to be huge um, value that's going to be unleashed, I think, through this process. Okay. Um, with kind of uh, building the bridge to uh, Deacon's ones. Um, so, so what you're saying is basically we are going to have more assets that will be, well, What that will enter kind of liquid markets be more more liquid due to i don't know increased sanitization i, I mean you can tokenize basically every well every house and then compare it among some things and just let the market do its thing and then you have differently priced uh, tokens but um if i <laughs> coming to well coming to the big point of custody then then you have those then you have those tokens for for your house for your car maybe for luxury items maybe for art patents stuff like that um, usually you had i don't know for example state street as a as a custodian for for normal equities um, what are your predictions on uh, custody for for tokens or blockchain items do you think we will have banks who want to well have a lot of private uh, accounts private private um, private keys 
uh, stored in their own vaults and then just be liable for for all those assets of their uh, customers or what what do you think what's more probable yeah so we're talking about kind of the cfi versus defi uh approach clearly there's going to be a tug of war here the big institutions are not going to give up custody and the custody revenues easily they will they will fight for those they will build they will build systems and, and and products that will attract custody and attract that risk because they will be able to to, to earn a return on that um equally you know the, the emerging DeFi world offers many uh offers many advantages too for asset holders so uh but with the with the flip side being that you were responsible for your own custody which is where decus network comes in of course um so that will be interesting. I think I think the two will exist side by side again for um, for 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 quite some time. I think DeFi is a little bit scary to to many market participants because they they can't quite get their head around it. What does it mean? It's very very different from the way the world works now. Uh, you know, let's be clear. What's happening with digitization of of, of assets is everything, virtually everything in capital markets is going to be rewritten and will be will be executed in a, in a digital fashion uh, in a tokenized world. But um, you know, often with, when, when there are big technology changes, what happens first is that the old system is replicated nearly identically with a new system before the potential of the new system are fully unleashed. I mean, this, there are parallels going back to the 1700s 1800s um, on tech, big technological advantages, uh, advances rather. And I well, expect the same thing will happen here. Yeah, let's be fair with all the hype around DeFi. I mean, you can still read every other week about some hack where people uh, forked, I don't know, a couple of millions from an exchange, from a liquidity protocol, what have you. Um, yeah, and coming back to the main point that those big names well, represent trust in a system and security and stuff like that. You don't want to be... The first, like, basically, basically, like in the classical VC case, the first big, uh, big name who jumps onto a new technology and then uh, you lose your customers' assets. That's certainly not something uh, anyone would want to be in the news with. Yeah, but I, but I agree with you that um, the potential is quite there, and that the well, digital infrastructure offers at least. The, the potential for numerous um, innovations going forward. Absolutely, and I think that's what's going to be the exciting one of the most exciting parts of this is it's a it's a open competitive landscape. CFI will be offering certain certain uh, products and services at a particular price. Uh, Just for DeFi, clarification, CFI as like centralized finance, like old finance, basically what yeah, we have old, right now. Old finance and old finance replicated in new finance. So I'm talking about finance, Coinbase, mm -hmm. who have replicated um, old finance in, for, for for digital assets. Uh, so they're you know they will have their products, they will have their advantages, disadvantages. DeFi will have its its, its own advantages, disadvantages, and with DeFi there will be a, a whole new ecosystem that we're not used to that is going to be evolving around this, and we'll be competing for custody and for those for those assets and to do that they will have to offer some kind of value and some products so um, it will come down to a 
you know, a very competitive landscape? And ultimately, what does the investor, uh, what does the asset owner prefer? Cool. Yeah, I guess um, that already kind of wraps uh, what we wanted to talk about today. Thanks for being our first guest. And um, yeah, thanks for being on here. Thanks again, Merrick, for the invitation. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure and an honor to be the first, first guest on your new podcast series.